What's up, night fans? Happy Thanksgiving. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. My name is Jeff Sharon. I'm joined by Eric Lopez. Eric, we're recording this the day before Thanksgiving, and thankfully, neither of us are traveling tonight. <laughs> no, but ironically, I'll be full either before Thanksgiving and after Thanksgiving. So I feel the same. That's I know, good. I know. Well, we have a, well, we have a, a busy weekend. All of us. It's nice that, you know, my family's up here. I know you got family kind of all over the place, but my family's up here, and we're all getting together on Thanksgiving, and uh, and then we're going to watch a little football. And what's nice is, you know, this is my favorite weekend of the year because I get Thanksgiving, I get to see the family, and there's just wall-to-wall football from Thursday, lots of games Friday, lots of games Saturday, Sunday, Monday, five straight days of football, and it's just awesome. It is. It's uh, certainly exciting. And, of course, UCF will be among them, whether they should be or not, or something we'll discuss. But uh, I, 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 it's a good one. It's a good holiday. I will be uh, – the problem with me is, for example, is I'm going to the UCF-USF game, so right. I will miss out on some of this. So uh, it is what it is, but it's a good problem to have. But, yeah, it's a fun holiday, no doubt about well, it. You're, uh, you're going to be there in person for uh, the game, which right. we will talk about in depth here in just a few minutes. We've got a guest for on our show, Dave Ryan, CBS Sports Network, doing play-by-play. He's done uh, – uh, he's done a couple UCF games this year. He's done more than a few in the past. He did a couple games last year. Um, he is quite familiar with UCF, but also looks at it from a very 30,000-foot sort of national perspective at being a national play-by-play guy with Corey Chavis on CBS Sports. He provides us some insight from his perspective on UCF and the matchup coming up with USF. We'll uh, also talk about basketball, getting to the final of the Gildan Charleston uh, Classic, the men's basketball team. Uh Surprising people by getting that far. Lost to Villanova in the final, but still a pretty good showing for the Knights uh, and some high praise all the way around. We'll also chat a little bit about women's basketball, once again continuing their hot start with a win over Butler and volleyball coming down the pike. But we start with football. UCF getting the uh, at home the uh, on senior day just did not have enough against Tulsa, which is just, gosh, I just can't stand Tulsa, man. It seems like every single time we play them, uh, it's just tough. So the Knights fall to 6-5 and five on the year after a 35-20 loss uh, against the uh, Golden Hurricane primetime game on uh, at Bright House Network Stadium. And, you know, things were looking pretty good, tied at 14 at the half, Eric, and then Tulsa just turned into Tulsa. That offense is so good. They scored 21 points in the third quarter. Um, two of them on touchdown passes from Dane Evans, who's just, man, he's a stud, man. I'm going to be glad he, when he's gone. Uh, Adrian Killens did get, a, uh, did, did get a touchdown in the fourth quarter to cut it to within two scores, but the extra point was blocked. UCF didn't get any closer than that. 35-20 was the final. Uh, as far as the statistics are concerned, uh, UCF, only 16 total first downs, 11 of them passing. Uh, Mackenzie Milton, um, you know, it, it, it was rough for him. I mean, 25 of 51, 51 pass attempts. That's just way too much. 233 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Uh, he ended up leading the team in rushing with 37 total net yards. Credit to Tulsa's defense, Eric, because they stuffed the run. Don Travius Wilson, seven carries for 33 total yards. Um, the Knights were just, they just couldn't get it going rushing. Only 88 yards as a team, while Tulsa racked up 348 net 
rush yards. Uh, Brewer and Flanders each go over 160 and score three touchdowns between them. And uh, Tulsa gets the win. And that was an impressive performance on the ground. I felt like watching that game, Eric, I felt like that was what UCF is going to look like starting next year after we have another spring practice and after the bowl game and all that. Uh, This team that just controls the game through the run but moves the ball quickly down the field and puts up a ton of points, man. I just thought that was an impressive performance. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the story of the game was UCF's inability to move the football offensively, and as a result, the defense had to be on the field for extra possessions. And when you're playing a team like Tulsa, you're going to wear down, and I think that's what happened. And you're right. I mean, Tulsa, very physical running game, uh, keeps you off balance, you know, really gashed them as the the game went on. And, you know, Tulsa was just a better football team. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think that was the story of the game. I really – I mean, we knew this going in, 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 and the fact is the UCF right now is a bit of a slump offensively. Uh, McKenzie Milton's missed some throws, and the big ones are those third downs. You know, you got to move the chains, and if you don't with that type of offense, you're going to leave your defense hanging, and I think that's what happened in that game. He looks and like I he's think, running out of gas. I think that's part of it. I think, look, I mean, I think, let's be honest, I think if I think if it was up to certain coaches on that coaching staff, he wouldn't even be playing right now. He'd probably be redshirting. So he's a true freshman. Uh, you know, he's definitely struggling a little bit. Uh, and it was interesting being being there at the game because I know being senior night, some people called for Justin Holman to maybe come in relief. Uh, and I, I would not have been against that for that particular night, maybe to bring a spark to that offense. And then you could always bring Milton back. Uh, But, you know, Coach Frost decided not to do that. He's sticking with Mackenzie Milton, and that's fine. Um, You know, that's the, you know, at the end of the day, Tulsa was just a better football team, and you knew that you had to move the ball, you had to move the chains, and if you kept your defense on the field, Tulsa was going to make you pay, and that's what they did. And you're right. I think UCF, hope, they're hoping that, hey, in a year or two, they will be the teams that will be doing that. But, uh, hey, give Tulsa credit. They were the better football team. And, uh, you know, for UCF, they're going to have to figure some things out, Jeff, offensively to have success coming up here against South Florida. Otherwise, I think you're going to see more of the same. You know, I looked at the conference stats, Eric. There's not a single UCF night in the top 10 in the American in any offensive category. Rushing, receiving, total yardage, passing, yeah. whatever you look at. Not a single individual night in the top 10. And that tells me how, yeah, we might be talented right now, but the guys we need to be good just aren't quite there yet. And we knew this was going to be a process, right? Once Scott Frost handed the keys to Mackenzie Milton, and I know I keep saying it, I'm a broken record, but true freshman quarterback – two freshman running backs and a freshman head coach. It's just, I, I really do believe he's just, he's just said we're going to embrace the struggle and things aren't going to go our way, but we're going to take our lumps. We're getting to the bowl game, so we get the, we get the extra, um, we've got the extra three weeks or so of practice um, after, uh, after next week, after Thanksgiving weekend, depending on what bowl game we go to. And we're going to just spend that time just focusing on getting better step by step, heal up in the offseason, hit spring ball um, full tilt, and then 
you know, just just let these guys, you know, take their lumps here in this in this first season. Better now than later. And um, I think that we're seeing, you know, these guys are starting to. You know, they would be done by now if they were when they were in high school, right? I mean, Thanksgiving weekends when usually well, it depends. I mean, the state championship are, games around there, right. maybe in Hawaii or something, right? Right, state playoffs going on and things like that, and, and there's some truth to that. But still, the question is: is what is Mackenzie Milton's upside? I mean, he's not. You would like to see progress. You would like to see certain improvements, and and you haven't seen that. And I think that's where the concern comes from. Um, but are we being too hard on him? Uh, you know, he's 18 years old. I will say this for those that think that Justin Holman is the answer would have been the answer, like just to start him. I, I disagree. I mean, have we forgotten how Justin was? Not, I mean, there's a reason Justin was not very good when he started this year. Let's not forget that. And yeah, he, he, he wasn't was, very he good last year. He wasn't good. It wasn't like, so, yeah, it's, you're right. It's not like he was lighting the world on fire. So I, I do think those people, if you're asking about those people that think that Justin Holman should be starting, those are the ones that really are whack. Uh, I do think McKenzie should be starting. Now, I do I do what I've been fine with Justin Holman coming in relief just for that Tulsa game, just for that game, senior night, come in relief, bring the spark. Yeah, I would have been fine with that. But I would not. That doesn't mean I would have started him against South Florida. I would have still started Milton because I agree with you at the end of the day. What this year is all about is you're hoping that by McKenzie getting every snap right now that this will pay off next year and beyond. That's what you're hoping for. Now, that being said, I also don't think he should be handed the quarterback job next season either when you get to spring. they got some quarterbacks coming in, freshman quarterback, and I do think it should be a competition, and I think it will be a competition, don't you? Yeah, I mean, well, competition's always healthy. I mean, I don't think he should go, you know, any player should go in thinking that right. his job is safe. I mean, certainly Justin Holman didn't at the start of this year, and look what happened. Right. I will right. come to Mackenzie Milton's defense in this respect. He's played eight games. He's completing 57% of his passes for 1,583 yards. That's 197.9 yards per game. Nine touchdowns, five interceptions, and a pass efficiency rating of 117.13. Justin Holman, 43.7% of his passes, 433 yards in five games. That's under 100 yards a game. Two touchdowns, two picks. So... If the numbers don't lie, Mackenzie Milton is the clear winner. I just think that the problem is he's he's getting tired, and they're playing better teams. The schedule well, has teams gotten are, tougher and, as the as the years right. gone by. And teams have let's be honest, teams are doing tape. They, yeah. They've seen that what UCF can do and can't do, and they you know they're they're they've made adjustments. And I don't think it's an accident. Teams have attacked the UCF offensive line a lot more as the year has gone on. Yeah, see, that's the thing that's, that's key. The offensive line, because yeah. we still got a bunch of guys who are square pegs and round holes, right. you know, O'Leary type guys running the frost offense. And that's just, that's just not how it's sure. really ideally supposed to work. Right. I mean, there are some questions there and as you know, they're, they're, they're forcing UCF to do some things there. So I, I think it's a combination of things. Um, you know, like I said, I wouldn't overreact. I wouldn't throw the boat out there. Um, at the end of the day, you've gotten you pretty much where we everybody thought you would be, maybe even a game or two better, depending on where we were preseason-wise. So uh, that's just the way it is. And, you know, at the end of the day, Tulsa was a better football team. I don't think any quarterback would have made a big difference in that game. Maybe Holman would have come in and brought a spark. But at the end of the day, this team is uh, – you're right. 
I mean, Scott Frost has basically only the true freshman players are really the players that really know this system or fit in this system. So you got to give him another recruiting class or two. And he's mentioned that. He has mentioned that in his uh, post games. He's mentioned that in his conferences, that he looks forward to the days where UCF will be the favorites and that they can, you know, be have these playmakers. And I think that's the goal uh, that maybe another year or two, then we can have a better uh, assessment of how things are going. But you're right. I mean, there was going to be some hiccups. And, uh, you know, again, I, I mentioned I've said this in the past. Tulsa is probably one of the top three, top four teams in the American Conference. And uh, they showed why. Yeah, they're very good. And uh, so, you know, it is what it is. Um, you just have to try. Now the big question, though, is going to be moving forward is what can they do to pull the upset on USF, right? Because let's be honest, uh, if you were to pull the upset against USF, then nobody really cares what happened in the Tulsa game. Would you agree with that? Like, no. So, um, I, you know, that's going to be the fascinating thing is what does Coach Frost do for the USF game? And I think that's really what people are – and I think part of the angst and criticism, if you will, is in part because people – you know, let's be honest. They know what's ahead. They got USF, and they're like, man, you know, I'd like to beat that team, and the way we're playing, we're not going to beat them type of thing too. So I think there's a little anxiety. Don't you think part of that too is like, oh, man, if we were playing like this, well, what are we going to do in Tampa against those people, right? I, I think that's true, but also I think there's – that our fan base is – it has the worst case of recency bias I've ever seen in my life. I mean, wow. everything is, you know, if it's not awesome now, it sucks, right? And and I'm like, guys, we just got bowl eligible after an 0 and 12 season, and they and you always hear, yeah, but yeah, but the talent was there, yeah, but dude, go back and look. I looked at the records, okay. UCF this year is the first team to be bowl eligible after a winless season since UCF back in 2005. And go look at all the other winless teams in the, 50, in, the in the 11 years between now and then, and look at how much they all sucked after that. <laughs> I'm I'm talking. It, it wasn't. It's not even close. It's not like there are a bunch of teams that went you know four and eight. There's a bunch of one and 11s after 0 and 12s and 0 and 11s. And the and when we saw you know it's so. Hard. It's so easy for us to lose perspective on it. But you're right. If UCF somehow pulls off the upset at USF, and I can't believe, you know, I, I got to tip my hat to the Bulls because I can't believe they're not ranked yet. I can't believe they're not ranked. They should be in the top 25. Why? And, why? 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 Give, give, give me an, here, let me ask. I mean, they're a good team. Don't get me wrong. Nine and two. I mean, Willie Tiger's done a great job there. Probably deserves better. Deserves better than what he has gotten from a support standpoint over there. But when you say they should be ranked, I mean, should they, I mean, Temple's not ranked. Why, you know, so I, I mean, think are Temple you should be ranked too. Okay. I mean, that's I, all I'm saying. Like, so you're saying there should be four teams in the American rank. Yeah, I, mean, I think so. I, I, I don't, I don't see, I'm looking at the AP top 25 right now. I don't see why LSU should be ranked. Well, you know the answer to that. Well, of course, but <laughs> a little three letters there, man. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, you know, I, I look. I mean, I know that's one spot, but you know, I, I don't see how. You know, I haven't been all that impressed with Tennessee. I haven't been all that impressed with Texas A and M. I mean, I, I don't. I, I just don't. I, I, I think that both of those teams deserve to be ranked. I, re, I really do. I would put USF right there in the top twenty-five, and maybe I, I, that's my own bias speaking because I would like to beat a ranked team on Saturday. <laughs> 
or well, I'll I be mean, honest, right? I'm not. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> uh, well, I'm just happy you added Temple there because I mean, there have been some people that have been throw, throwing that out there. I'm like, okay, but you better include Temple there because Temple is leading the division. Uh, that you know, they they they're you know, and if we look at the scenarios this weekend, you know, USF has to beat UCF and hope that South uh, that Temple loses to East Carolina, which has been an abysmal team. Otherwise, if Temple wins, they win the American Conference title. And obviously, if you're a UCF fan, you're hoping yeah. you can pull the upset, if for nothing else, to spoil USF season. Now, USF's nine and two. You're right. I think the, the, the you know they did beat Navy comfortably at home, so that's in our that's a check mark on your argument right there. You know, I think the thing that's hurt USF was, you know, in two of their nationally televised games, they got, they got crushed. They got yeah. crushed by Florida State. Like Florida State literally ran all over them, which you know, hey, it happens. And then that Friday night showdown against Temple, Temple just run ran rough shot over them. And I say those, and that's key because to me, Jeff, that's UCF's chance this weekend. That's their chance. Can UCF run the football against the USF defense that's not as good as last year? They lost their defensive coordinator to Indiana, I believe he went, Tom Allen, and they have they've been a little soft against the run. And I think if UCF can get back to running the football and control, you know, the, the the line of scrimmage on that side of the ball, then I think UCF has a legitimate shot in this football game. But they must, must run the football and move the chains against that USF defense and help their defense against what I think is as dynamic of an offense, maybe in the American Conference, which is saying something. We just saw Tulsa. We've seen Houston. USF's every bit as good offensively with maybe – the player of the year coming from the in, in in Quentin Flowers. Yeah, and you're right about their rush defense, which is extremely soft. They're giving up 218 yards a game. That's next to last in the American. In terms of total defense, uh, USF is dead last in the conference. They're giving up 489 yards a game, but they make up for it with the offense. They're averaging 516 yards a game on offense. And this is the this is the number that I'm really impressed with. We know that they average 43 points a game. That's tops in the conference. But this is what I was I was really impressed with. Uh, the individual rushing stats. When you go look at them in, uh, 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 in the American. Quentin Flowers, the quarterback, is third in the conference in rushing. 115 yards a game. Marlon Mack is fifth. He's averaging 98.2 a game. He's 18 yards away from 1,000. So... Most likely, unless Marlon Mack either gets hurt or has a really bad day against UCF, Marlon Mack is going to get over 1,000 yards. They're going to have two 1,000-yard rushers. Now, there's one other team in the American that has two 1,000-yard rushers, and we just saw them last week, D'Angelo Brewer and James Flanders of Tulsa. So that shows you how good USF is, and you, you mentioned Flowers. To put his season in perspective, in addition to the rushing, He's tops in pass efficiency in the league, 157.2. And he's, of course, number one in total offense, averaging 333 uh, total offensive yards per game when you add up the passing and the rushing. So this, is gonna, this team is going to be a problem to deal with. And uh, Coach Frost, uh, actually, right bef- uh, actually before this week, here, he's, uh, here, is, uh, here is Coach Frost uh, discussing the USF game coming up. You know, I'm excited to play this game our kids are excited to play this game um i think i think if we play well uh we can get the we can get the game done and and uh make a good showing and i have a chance to win the game usf has some special players on offense some guys that have been in that system for a while 
Um, it's going to be a challenge for us. Um, unless we do a better job than we did last Saturday on offense, uh, we're going to have a hard time beating the best teams in this league. Yeah, this team does have uh, their work cut out for them. I mean, it's not impossible. I mean, we know that UCF is actually pretty good in the rush defense category as a team. Um, right now, you know, fifth in the conference in, in rushing defense, averaging uh, 165.8. But if they have a really good day and if they're able to uh, – uh, maybe cause a couple turnovers, which, you know, we talked about how they've been pretty good at that this year, Eric. Um, things could could get interesting, especially if UCF, like you said, can get the uh, can get the running game going for themselves as well. Yeah, I think that's the biggest factor in this football game. And the thing is, I, I, I know they've got Willie Taggart's attention. In fact, uh, Willie, in his weekly press conference this week, talked about the job that Scott Frost has done and how – much how hard this team plays and they've got some talent there that uh, certainly got his attention i think coach frost has done a great job of, of getting those kids to believe and playing hard and um they, they so much more improved than what they were last year really a good football team that could easily um have eight or nine wins now you know so it's gonna be a, a good ball game a tough challenge and uh, we're excited about it so uh, look uh I don't. USF will not look past them. I don't think this is going to be a game like last year's debacle and Thanksgiving, Jeff. Um, I'm interested to seeing what does Scott Frost bring in his bag. Don't you? Don't you feel like this is a game where he's going to go? I think you're going to see a lot of different things we even haven't seen yet. Yeah. And I'm talking trick plays. I'm talking. I mean, fourth downs. Uh, I think he's going to be overly aggressive. I think to similar to the Maryland game, but maybe even different, even more extreme. Um, because really, from Scott Frost's standpoint, what do you have to lose, right? Right. This is what, I. Th- I think you're right about that. This is what Bill Simmons calls the kitchen sink game. I'm going to throw everything, including the kitchen sink, at them in this game because what the hell? Why not? It's our rivalry. Um, you know, they're nine, like you said, nine and two. We can spoil their season on their home field. Wouldn't that be sweet? And I think I mentioned this before when I was talking to Eric Casillas on uh, on the morning show on 1080 AM. Um, the uh, 1080 of the team that you know Frost doesn't have his signature win this season yet. I don't think. You know what's the what's UCF's what's UCF's big win that you look at and you're like, yeah, that's that was a great win that we got. You say it was East Carolina going up there on the road scoring 47 points. I mean, winning in Greenville certainly with all the the rivalry there with the Pirates, but East Carolina is not very good. To your point. Uh, you're right. I mean, it, it, you're, you're right. There's not that win that really you put a, a flag step, uh, flagship on it, right? Yeah. I mean, Connecticut's yeah. not very good. Yeah, you want it, Connecticut, but again, not a very good Connecticut team. I mean, that's the thing. Cincinnati weren't very good. No, FIU, that's not the very thing. Good. They've won the games they're supposed to. You know, right. that's the thing. They've won the games they're supposed to. It's more of the games that got away. The Maryland game got away. The Temple game. That's the guy. That one got the Houston away. Houston game. It got away, although I give credit to Houston more on that. For their, I thought they just, you know, it was one of those things that. Yeah, although, uh, I mean, although you can make the argument, look, you're up 24-7. You should put that thing away, even if it's 20, on the road. 24-3, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, certainly. Yeah. But, but you know, they were also gifted some turnovers to get you that lead. So it wasn't, you know, the Temple one hurts more, obviously, and the Maryland game, I think, are the two that kind of sting a little bit. Mm-hmm. You're right. He hasn't had that signature win here. And in a lot of ways, uh, this game will kind of, I think decide how thing you know if they can play well and pull the upset. You're right. I it's it's funny. 
for all the, you know, if people are dissatisfied or questioning some things, if he's to pull off the win against USF, trust me, he won't have to hear, he won't hear a negative word the whole year. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, so you're right. I'm glad that the game between UCF and USF is at that point now. And and part of the news having to do with that was they actually finally unveiled the trophy for this thing. Yes. About a 160-pounder. This thing is enormous, man. I, I, yes. I mean, I saw this thing is about five and a half feet tall. It's a massive road sign, you know, like one of those interstate shields, which I'm glad that they did, they did it this way. And if there's a USF on one side and UCF on the other. And whichever team wins, it supposedly it faces outward. But – I, I'm glad that they did this because I could totally see, right, whichever team wins on Saturday, running onto the other sideline or wherever they're holding that trophy, and the, and the sign actually comes out of the base, right, which I thought was neat. I could totally see the, the winning team going over, running over, grabbing that trophy, picking it up, and holding up that road sign and parading around the stadium. Kind of like Floyd of Rosedale, or the uh, or or the or, or Paul Bunyan's axe, or one of right. those kinds of things. Right. I, I think it's I I think they did a very good job, um, and it's going to be I think it's going to be fun with these two schools actually, you know, acknowledging officially acknowledging one another that yes, this is good for both of our schools. This is good for both of our metropolitan areas to do this. And uh, do you think that the the trophy does add a little something to it, or does it? Sure. Not really yeah. No. No. It's fine. I mean. I like the whole concept with the all sports and then adding one for the football game. No question about it. I, I like it. Adds a little oomph to it. Um, I'm fine with it. The only thing I the only thing I don't like is this game being played this weekend. To be honest, uh, and that's going to be the, the, the I'm looking now, forward why to. Why is that though? This is this is rivalry week. It's Thanksgiving week. Yeah. You know? I, 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 Miami, we, let me ask you this: Miami Duke a rivalry? I mean, they're playing this weekend. I mean, yeah, you know, that's the ACC. I mean, they, they, but here, here's my. Here's my issue with this. Here's my issue with this. And I think you're going to see this. I don't think we're going to get a great crowd on Saturday. I, I think you're probably going to get 30, maybe 40,000 if we're lucky. All right. If you're lucky for a noon kickoff on a Thanksgiving Saturday, this game didn't draw last year in Thanksgiving night. It didn't draw in Tampa two years ago on a Black Friday. I think this game gets lost. And I think you need some development for this rivalry first. Um, I think there's too many people right now that feel, well, I'm going to spend time with the family and I'm going to go and watch the game in TV or stuff instead of going to the game. If you remember, Jeff, when this this, this their first time they ever played back in 2005, they had a four-year deal, basically, 2005 to 2008. They played in September and yeah. the game was sold out. Uh, because you had the student body was into it. You know, they could go to the games. Everybody could go to the game. Right now, I think you're taking away from certain people that no. normally would go to the game that don't go because of the holidays. And See, I think you're, I, you're in that. I don't. You're in that camp. No, I, camp. I don't. I don't buy that for one second. If that's you the case, don't. if that's the case, you know, NC State North Carolina is going to get sold out. Right? Are Washington, you sure about that? Washington, Washington State's going to get sold out. Yeah, they play for a lot of years, though. They've helped. They, they're Arizona, to... Arizona State, Georgia, Georgia Tech, yeah. Kansas, Kansas State, Michigan, Ohio State. Oh man, yeah, people are going to sell that thing out. Virginia, Virginia Tech. So not, not the same. That's not the same. Those games have been playing for a hundred years. They've been playing for years and years and years. Right. And but if they don't wanted... have a they don't they don't have a game in the state like Florida, Florida State. That's going to take away from your audience. Florida, right. Florida we, State. But is if get all want... the attention. But if we want 
to be considered among that tier of teams that and this not, goes for USF too. This has to yeah, happen, but, right? But not right now. No, you're not in that tier. Like you're so you have to develop to get to that point. You're not at that level yet. You have to get to that point. Look at Miami and Florida State, for example, they, how they built their rivalry. To me, this game is better off in October, early in the conference, when people are excited. That way you got all your fans to go to the games and, and, and invest in the game, and now you have to invest in the hatred for both sides, and then you can move the game to Thanksgiving. I don't think there's a as much of a hatred as people think there is for this game because it's brand new, and People just, it's like, eh, I'll just go, eh, whatever. If Hopefully we beat them, but, you know, I'm going to spend time with the family, whatever. Or I'm going to watch the Florida-Florida State game. And it's not just a fan issue. I'm talking about a media issue. Let's be honest. The majority of the main media in this state are going to be in Tallahassee on Saturday, not Tampa. So to me, why, if you want to build this game and build your programs, move this game away from the Florida-Florida State game and build yourself into a weekend where you can get the mainstream media to cover your game. And now you built this game up bigger than it, you know, and bigger and bigger. And that's to me what I would do. Um, heck, you can move this game up a week early. UCLA, USC aren't playing this weekend. They're pl- they played last weekend. Cal Stanford yeah, but played, that, but last that's because week. but that's because USC's playing Notre Dame, and when they play them in Los Angeles, they play on the last weekend of the season. Yeah, but Cal Stanford played last weekend. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean. You can maneuver. Not every single rivalry has to be played this weekend. And and again, I'm not saying that down the road in 20 years you can't play this game in Thanksgiving. I just don't think right now, like, again, this game should be a moneymaker for both sides. This game should be a sellout. And it's not going to be a sellout, and in part because of the holiday. Um, you know, and, and I can't blame people for that. I'm not going to tell people, hey, don't spend time with your family and don't go to the game. I understand it. Uh, trust me, I do. Uh, I, you know, like I said, and I've been to all these games. The only game I've missed from a UCF USF standpoint was that uh, debacle in 2007. But uh, I was there two years ago with Black Friday. And, you know, part of this USF fans don't go out for any games. But yeah, I that's think, the I, that's the thing. That's the big. I issue. mean, that's a big part. Of, that's a big problem. But for I think for UCF fans, I don't think they'll turn out as many people in this game in Tampa on Saturday like they would have if this game was maybe a couple weeks earlier just because of the holidays and everything. So I think there's some obstacles that that they, with this holiday, and I think to me this game needs to be built up more uh, before you can put it up in Thanksgiving. It's kind of like uh, you know, the, 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 the parallel I can give you would be uh, it's a big fight. You, know, you, you want to see this big fight. But if you throw this fight up against other big fights, it gets lost in the mid card. So why not just build that fight up for another card and where you can be the main event and get more eyeballs on you? That's to me the, the equivalent that I would use uh, for this game. Now, look, I'm going regardless, but I'm just telling you, Jeff, when you watch this game on CBS Sports Network, you're going to see a lot of empty seats and you're going to be asking yourself, like, geez, can't we, you know, what, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Thursdays for family, Saturdays for football. For, 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 for football. Anyway. Well, that brings us to our guest for this week and uh, joining us now. We're recording this actually right now on a Wednesday night, the night before Thanksgiving. Earlier today, Wednesday morning, uh, I spoke with a guy who's actually an old friend, one of my old professors from Syracuse University uh, when I was uh, getting my master's degree up there and uh, is now at CBS Sports Network. He'll be on the mic for the game doing play-by-play alongside Corey Chavis uh, on CBS Here's our interview with none other than Dave Ryan. 
Joining me now, an old friend going back to when I was a student, a grad student, actually, at Syracuse University. Uh, you may know him from way back where, when he was at ESPN. He covered everything from college football to the National Hockey League to bowling. He's since moved over to CBS Sports, where he works with Corey Chavis on American Athletic Conference uh, football games this season. He's been around there for a long time, and he's a very familiar voice to those of us here uh, at UCF. Dave Ryan joining me today. How are you, Dave? I'm doing great, Jeff. How are you? What's happening in the city? Beautiful. Uh, it's it's going great. It's it's been cool the last few days. It's, we're finally getting some football weather around here, and uh, life is good. The Knights are bowl eligible, and uh, and you get the chance. Well, we'll be able to hear you and Corey uh, for the War on I four on uh, Saturday as we kick off. Uh, well, we're not kicking off Thanksgiving weekend, but it's the big Saturday rivalry Saturday. So, uh, tell me about uh, you know how when we look back at UCF coming off of an 0-12 season, and you were there for, I think, more, I think at least one game more than, or probably more than that. I'll have to go back and look. But, uh, and then you see UCF now. How much of a surprise is it that the Knights are bowl eligible following last year's disaster of a season? Well, I actually did get a call two of their games last year. So yeah. part of that whole terrible start that George had last season when they lost FIU on that late block field goal, I called that game. So season opener and then the game at Temple last year. So I did get a chance to see kind of where things were going excuse me, with UCF at that time. And it was clear that Georgia had lost control of the team. It was clear that, unfortunately, a lot of the guys had given up. Um, the offense, boy, if you look at the numbers, Jeff, from last year, offensively and defensively, almost every stat was last in the country from last season. And then you compare and contrast with this year, and the job that Scott Frost has done is remarkable. Now, we every week we put, Corey and I put together our, Coach of the Year, American Conference Coach of the Year, toward the end of the season, that is. American Conference Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, etc. So, Shaquem Griffin is my runaway defensive player of the year, leading the league in sacks. I and mean, his story is well-documented with, with, of course, one arm and what he's done in his, in his only year as a starting linebacker. He was a reserve defensive back who had seven tackles last year total. Uh, it, it's extraordinary what he and his brother have done. And, and then uh, my, my coach here is Scott Frost, God question. Now, Philip Montgomery deserves consideration. Chad Morris deserves consideration at Tulsa and SMU. Ken Nimitz at Houston, uh, sorry, at Navy has done a great job. Tom Herman at Houston has done a great job. Uh, and Willie Taggart at USF. These are all coaches who've done really good things this year. But what Scott has done, it's the first program since 0405, that was George's first year at UCF, to go winless, 11 games back then, <laughs> yeah. and then a bowl game the next year. It hasn't happened since. So UCF has, done, has had the last two 0-12 to a bowl. It is nothing short of miraculous. He's done an extraordinary job to change the culture, to implement an offense, to, to take the risk of starting a true freshman quarterback from Hawaii. I mean, <laughs> you can't script this stuff um, and not stay with the established star, Justin Holman, who has done a lot of good things and won a lot of games. He's, and is a pro prospect, by the way. He's a talented quarterback. Uh, Scott Frost has done it his way. Eric Commander has done it his way as a defensive coordinator there. And it's, been, it's just been an extraordinary turnaround and really one of the, the best stories of 2016 in college football. You know, I'm glad you mentioned Eric Shenander in that because that goes to my next question is when Scott Frost got here, all the excitement surrounding UCF was, wow, we're going to get the Oregon offense. We're going to see if it travels to the, to the southeast. We're going to see this thing work with Florida athletes. And this year, because you have a lot of freshmen, obviously the true freshman quarterback with Mackenzie Milton, you got two freshmen back there as the running backs. And I think people forget that the Oregon offense is actually a rushing offense primarily, even though it just runs at a very high pace. Really, it's been the defense that has 
uh, been the that that has been the center of gravity for UCF this year. They're third in the American in scoring defense, fourth in total defense. A total change from last year, like you were saying. So um, that has a lot to do with how Eric Shenander has done. What is what do you think has been the big difference for UCF on defense from the past, leading now to this year with Shenander's scheme? Well, Jeff, we've had them a couple times this year. We had that Maryland game, that throw that I'm sure UCF fans are thinking back. Boy, I wish we could have won that one. Had mm-hmm. seven wins uh, right now. Uh, and we had you guys at East Carolina as well. So twice I've seen it in person. So we've had a really good chance to meet with, with Eric, with Scott, and his staff and players before the game. We used to get that great access before a game. And, and Eric's an Iowa guy. He played at Iowa. And he's been with Scott for a long time, as you guys know, Northern Iowa and then off to Oregon. Um, you know, he, he played offense in college, but has been on the defensive side of the ball for a long time now. Linebackers coach in Oregon. Um, I think it's a com- kind of a combination. It's schematic, and it's also uh, personnel. So Shaquem Griffin could not be a better example. This is a reserve defensive back who Georgia's staff, unfortunately, evaluated as, as a special teams player only, maybe even a liability because of his one arm. But what has he done? He leads the American conferences back. He's the most inspirational story nationally by far in college football this year. It's not even close. Uh, and James Conner's a great story of fit over cancer, of course. But nothing like what Shaquem has done in terms of the performance on the field. Um, so I think it was, and Eric told us when we met with him for the first time, uh, the old staff told me that Shaquem couldn't play at one arm. He can't play. <laughs> he can't play? What kind of evaluation is that? I mean, the guy's, I think he's second in the American in tackles for loss as well. He is a tremendous 100% nonstop motor. Uh, he has been disrupted the entire season in every backfield from Maryland in the Big Ten to Michigan in the Big Ten. You name it, he has been disrupted. Uh, uh, opponents, I'm sure, wishing that he was not a redshirt junior. He has one. He has, he'll graduate with Shaquille this year. Yeah. Um, so it, 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 it's a combination. It's a combination of effort. It's guys like Tristan Hill, good example. Uh, true freshman, he decides he's, he's a four-star. He decides to go to UCF and not to UF or FSU or Miami. In-state, in-state stars are staying. Uh, Scott Frost had, had defensive players energized. It wasn't just offensive guys who, uh, like Adrian Killens, like Hamilton, who have come and, and made a big, big impact as offensive guys. Uh, I, think, I think it's kind of universal. So it's a, it's a combination of the culture of coming in, and Scott Frost is a no-nonsense winner. That was clear from the very beginning. The first second you meet the guy, you realize he's serious, and he's there to win. There's nothing more. It's not about him at all. It's about getting this program going in the right direction. And I think that he felt he had a lot in the in the cupboard already when he got there. A lot of talent. It was a matter of putting them in the right place on, on in all three phases, and it worked out really well. It's just a great story. Yeah, it's easy to forget that you know it was only two years ago that UCF won a share of the conference title. So you're right, the cupboard wasn't bare, but it was a matter of getting the right pieces to be in the right spot and I think you know like you mentioned Shaquille Griffin being a good example of that now the challenge this week is USF though who comes in having a very good season under Willie Taggart first in the American in total offense they're averaging 516 yards a game and over 43 points Uh, and it's the Quentin Flowers show he's tops in the league in terms of uh, total offense and uh, along with him and Mac, they're actually on the ver- – I think Mac is, I think, 18 yards short of 1,000 yards rushing. So USF can have 2,000-yard rushers this year by the end of the weekend. Uh, how big of a challenge is this going to be for UCF as they head down to Tampa for the war on I-4? Well, he might get that 1,000 yards in the first carry. Yeah, that's <laughs> I mean, true. He's a, he's a dangerous player, and I think this is the last that uh, UCF fans will see Marlon Mack. I think he's going to go pull after this year. I'd be shocked if he comes back for a senior year. 
Uh, he's done everything he possibly can in three years there. Uh, he'll be all conference all three years. As you said, he's a, he's a leading rusher already in USF history. Uh, he's going to go over a thousand yards three straight years. What, what more can he prove? Um, he's like a slot back, third down back type in the NFL, probably. I don't know if he, he's not big enough to, and strong enough probably to carry the ball 30 times in the game at that level. Mm-hmm. So that's the good news for UCF fans. <laughs> the bad news is you got to play him again one more time this Saturday. Uh, Quentin Flowers is the most dynamic quarterback no one's heard of. And the, and the big issue that we have, Jeff, in covering the American Conference is that it's a group of five football course. And I know UCF fans and USF fans don't want to hear this, but the national recognition is so low compared to what Florida State gets and what Miami gets, and what UF gets, and Georgia. And you name it, any of those Power 5 schools, even the weak teams in the SEC East, get so much more coverage and notoriety nationally. And that has to do with certain TV networks <laughs> that promote only promote those players that they cover more and the rights fees are higher. Let's yep. just face it. That's just what it is. Now, that, that's the bottom line. Gwynn Flowers deserves to be a Heisman candidate this year. So does Donnell Pumphrey at San Diego State. But the fact is, those guys aren't going to New York because they're not in it. They don't play for Power 5 schools. Um, I'm sure Eric Janander hopes this is the last time he'll see Quentin Flowers as well. There is no more explosive quarterback in terms of being a dual threat nationally. Compare him to Greg Ward Jr. at Houston, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson. Compare them to any of those guys, and he, I think he matches up. Um, with his legs, as fast and explosive a quarterback as, as you've seen. Actually, Corey and I got to saw his first ever start at SMU two years ago. And if you compare that Quentin Flowers to this one, he's literally like a different person. He's, 10, he's probably 10 or 15 pounds stronger. He's a better decision maker with his pros. And he has become such a smart running quarterback. He understands exactly how to use the RPO and the things that Willie Taggart's put in. And Willie Taggart's a brilliant play. By the way, Knights fan, this could be the last time you face Willie Taggart. <laughs> yeah. I would be surprised if he next year. Really surprised. Uh, what he's done. He had eight wins last year, and it could be 11 this year. Um, Brilliant coach, play caller, clearly has, has gotten USF from, from uh, you know, a really low level his first couple of years there. Uh, put, a, put a fence around uh, the Tampa area, Tampa St. Pete area, that Bay Area recruiting is phenomenal. Um, it, it, to us, it's a really exciting matchup with two really great coaches. And, and this offense is really hard to stop. Rodney Adams is the fastest receiver I've seen in person probably in the last two years. Uh, he has elevated his game. Now, he, he's a little fumble prone. He fumbled at SMU last week on a kick, kickoff return. Uh, but if you can catch him, <laughs> mm-hmm. if you can actually love him, a guy, he might fumble. But other than that, he, he may take it to the house. Um, they are, and, and Dearness Johnson is a player you can't forget either. It's not just Flowers and Matt. Uh, he, he's, he's the MVP, according to Willie Taggart. So they've got lots of weapons offensively. That is a hard team to stop. UCF defense would be put to a huge test. Um, it, it's going to be a matter, in my opinion, this game swings in the fact that UCF's offense has got to be explosive against Tulsa last week. They just left too many plays in the field, way too many points and, and opportunities. And I think McKenzie is, is wearing down. I think a lot of the freshmen, they're, they're used to being done by now. Their playoffs are over in, in the state of Hawaii or Florida, wherever they are, right? Coming from so at this point of the year, they're exhausted. Uh, and I think Milton Lewis showed that against Tulsa last week. He's not looking impressive to me at all. And, and I think you know that's kind of where you want a veteran quarterback who's been through all this. And that's the risk you take with an 18-year-old kid. Um, I think that, to me, this game hinges on UCF converting third downs. They couldn't do it last week against Tulsa. Staying on the field because USF's defense is a fifth. And their defense has had huge issues. Uh, who's going to be explosive? Who is it going to be? Can, can Milton be accurate enough to hit Trey Collins' Smith and stride, finally, uh, and stop throwing high balls, low balls, uncatchable passes? 
um, Smith's the guy. It's Smith and Milton and Hamilton uh, and Killens and explosive nights. Can they can they light a fire on that offense and get things going? They need to have 20-plus 20, 20 yard players. It hasn't happened the last few weeks. Yeah, it's been tough because, you know, they've also had, I, I feel like as the, as the season's gone by, they've had a hard time keeping McKenzie upright. He's had to run around quite a bit. Uh, not that he's bad at doing that, but the fact remains, you know, this is a, an offensive line where you have a, a bunch of square pegs trying to fit into round holes where, uh, you know, those are all those are all O'Leary guys up front who are the big road graders. And in the Oregon scheme, uh, you have to have, you know, a slightly smaller offensive lineman, but guys who can get downfield in a hurry. So a lot more muscle mass in that particular respect. Let me ask you this, though, as we're with Dave Ryan from CBS Sports Network. Um, this is the first time that UCF and USF are playing with an actual trophy on the line. They unveiled it this week, uh, the Moron I-4 trophy. This is the first year that both schools have more or less officially acknowledged that, yes, there is a rivalry between us and we play for things against each other. So, but does that really matter? I've always contended that this is the best young rivalry, if you will, in college football because there is real intensity between the fan bases, especially if you look on social media. But from the, fan, from the player's perspective and from the coach's perspective, the folks you talk to, does it really matter all that much? Is it, and does the intensity for those players and coaches match the intensity for the fans? Well, that's a good question. I, you know, when, when people ask me about covering college football, Jeff, I always say it's a pageantry in the history that I love so much about it. Now, these are relatively new programs to FBS, to, to football, and to college football in general. I mean, under 20 years, it's, it's or under 30 years for each. It's not, it's not a long time. So there isn't really enough time to establish that. Long, it's not a Big Ten rival. It's not Ohio State, Michigan by the stretch. Um, I love trophies. <laughs> the, the, the Paul Bunyan Axe, the Florida Rosedale, you know, Iowa, Minnesota, and and Wisconsin, Minnesota, those, there's nothing quite like that. Uh, I can name a bunch that cover ESPN. Most of the Big Ten programs have been around a long time and are well-established. So I'm all about the trophy. I think to, uh, any, any time you can establish that, any time you can do that, it's great. I do wish they'd rename it. Uh, but, you know, based on what's happened in your city and at the pulse shootings, uh, we're covering the Arena Football League uh, mm-hmm. when it still existed over the summer and the Predators right after the shootings and and all the, the talk with Tampa Bay and Orlando playing each other. Um, the, the war on I-4 was, was eliminated from any of our nomenclature on CBS and the Rear Football League, and I really, I'm really i surprised they went back to it for this. Hmm. I understand it's a, it's a long-standing term. I get it. It goes back to the AFL days, and, and that's cool. I mean, um, the, the Storm and the Predators have been, were rivals for many, many years, 25-plus years in the history of the league. But, you know, to me, that's, it, there's a little bit of a connection. It's a negative. Um, so I don't think on CBS we're going to mention that a lot this weekend. We've been told by our, our people not to. And I, and I agree with that. So I'd like to see – it rhymes. It's cool. Yeah. It's I-4. I get it. The cities are close. But how about something else that maybe doesn't bring that connotation in? I don't think you'd ever want to think about what happened at that nightclub, that, the horrible events that happened there. So if, it, if, it, if it's connected to your mind, let's, let's make it a different trophy. Sunshine State Showdown. Sunshine you – know, something else. The, the special. There, there are a lot of ways you could probably name it without using the term war. Uh, but that's just me. That's my opinion personally, uh, but I do love trophies. I love tradition, and why not start that? Hopefully it's not going to be like Bob Diaco's trophy <laughs> at UConn. <laughs> they just got left on the sidelines. He tried to do it himself. You really need both schools to cooperate. Uh, that that didn't quite uh, pan out. I like the effort, though, from Coach Diaco at UConn. Unfortunately, UCF was not interested. 
Well, you know what's funny about that? I was thinking that you know maybe UCF leaving the trophy at UConn might actually spur that into a rivalry because now you've actually injected yeah, some bad blood into it, right? <laughs> So, well, Dave, any, anything to get the rivalry going, right? <laughs> so, Dave Ryan of CBS Sports, uh, folks, where can uh, where can uh, good UCF fans follow you, catch you after football season is concluded? What do you have coming up after the after uh, Saturday? Well, we've got college basketball actually game at USF coming up uh, December seventeenth. Got some time off, which is nice. Uh, we'll do do an American Conference, Mid American Conference, Mountain West, Big East. Mac, uh, I think I said that. We have, um, what else, Patriot League, Missouri Valley. We do a lot of college Goodness. basketball TV Sports Network. Uh, so we'll be all over the map doing that. Um, right through March Madness, uh, doing quite a bit of Westwood One Radio as well, college basketball. So uh, just follow me on Twitter at DaveRino12. I'll be telling you where I am, what's going on, and Channel Finder for CBS Sportsnet. We're uh, Bright House is 1137, I think, 221 DirecTV. Um, so, so watch us this weekend and continue to follow CBS Sports Network uh, all season long. Looking forward to a great game Saturday, Jeff, and thanks for having me on. Not to, you know, thank you for having for joining me for the time, Dave, and uh, not to mention also the best sports reporting teacher I've ever had at Syracuse University at the Newhouse School, <laughs> Dave Ryan. How many did you have? How uh, many did you have? I had. I well, remember, I had two. I had you and John Nicholson. Remember. <laughs> Yeah, and All then right, I, yeah, and I interned for I interned for Stephen Fonte at Channel Nine. I knew him and Kevin Moore, and I learned I learned a whole bunch of things from you guys. Jason Mater here in Central Florida when I was at UCF, but uh, always I had a blast at your class. I learned I learned a whole lot back then, and some of the things that I teach my students now are a lot of the things that uh, that you taught me back then. So, Dave, thank you so much once again. Really appreciate it. Have fun on Saturday, and have a happy Thanksgiving. You as well. So you and your family, Jeff, thanks for having me on, and uh, good luck to the Knights. It's going to be a fun game to watch. All right, thanks, Dave. And once again, huge, huge thanks to Dave. I can't tell you how uh, appreciative I am of his time because he's super busy right now. You know, it, I mean, he told me how you know, it, the, the schedule that you have to follow in order to get everything ready to go for Saturday, especially a noon kickoff, is kind of wild. So um, thanks again to, uh, to Dave for allowing me to uh, – for uh, giving us the time, and we'll, hopefully we'll have him back again maybe during basketball season – uh, as uh, things continue to roll on through, but Dave is awesome. Yeah, he, I, I mean, I knew who Dave was before I even went to uh, I even went to school, and then when I got the chance to take a class with him at Syracuse, I jumped at the chance because I know he, you know, I've always known how how much of a pro he is, and he's always been a pro at the UCF games, and I love it when he gets to do these games for UCF. Awesome guy, enjoyed. Uh, actually, I actually have worked with him. Uh, I've done some talent stats uh, for him. Yep. For those that don't know, I mean, we're going kind of behind the curtains, if you will. Uh, play-by-play people sometimes will have their own talent spotters, basically, who's right next to them and will spot them like who made the tackle and they'll point to a chart or give them certain stats that they want and stuff like that. So I've done that with Dave a couple times, and he's so easy to work with. Uh, and, and it probably goes hand-to-hand what you talked about. He was a professor at Syracuse, so he knows he's teaching you your – while. At the same time, you're doing your job. It's great. I mean, yeah. it's fun. Yeah. Everyone thinks that you know that TV guys. You know, so there's such a there's such a difference between doing a game on TV and radio. Radio, like you're actually you know you have to stay involved in the game. But you right. know, but even like when you get to more higher level radio, and especially on TV, you're much more. There's a lot more things going on. There's a lot more people talking to you. You're a lot more of a of sort of a traffic cop of information. It is so much harder to do a TV game because of that. And Dave has been a pro for a long time. He's done so many sports. God, he, he's done. Uh, he was doing the NHL when he was at ESPN. He did college football. 
He's been at right. every position around the field in college football. Well, that's right. And that's the thing. He's so versatile. You know, I think when, you know, when he was at ESPN, they had him do a lot of sideline reporting, which is probably one of the reasons why he went moved on to CBS Sports Network. Plus, it's, you know, uh, among others. But you're yeah, right. I mean, he's the voice of lacrosse for so many years on ESPN yeah. and still does it on Westwood One for lacrosse radio. I mean, and he does the professional lacrosse for CBS Sports Network. I mean, hey, if you're a Syracuse a, guy, you do lacrosse. <laughs> There you go. Exactly. He's tremendous at it. Uh, obviously, he does basketball, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, he's done it all. So there's not a position that he probably can't do in the industry. Very versatile. And uh, he's got a good thing going with Chavis there as far as their crew there for these CBS Sports Network. You know, uh, they've kind of been the American Conference crew, if you will. Um, you know, you got Melanie Collins down on the sideline. So it'll be a great broadcast for them. And uh, and then towards basketball season, he'll probably do a lot of the American Conference games as well. So um, always enjoyed uh, hearing from Dave. Uh, it's one of the best in the industry. Yeah, he's going to put on a good show along with Corey Chavis on Saturday at noon. Stick around. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Hello, Night Nation. This is Andrew Fegley. This is Trey Strelka with the UCF Nightline Podcast, the original, the number one rated UCF sports podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, it's UCF underscore Nightline and at www.ucfnightlinepodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to us as well on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And when you get sick of listening to these guys, make sure you look us up. Don't forget, that's the UCF Nightline Podcast. Go Knights! Charge on. Now, back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Moving on, let's talk a little bit about men's basketball, who had a very good weekend this past weekend. They went up to uh, Charleston, up to College of Charleston, and uh, participated in the, what's it called, the Gildan Charleston Classic. Wow, did UCF perform well in the first two days, Thursday and Friday. Started the tournament off against Mississippi State and jumped all over the Bulldogs in the early going. They win going away. They win tw- tw- by 25, 86 to 61. The Knights were up 20 at the half. They scored 53 points in the first half. And uh, boy, did they look good in that game. Taco Fall, uh, 26 points and 12 rebounds. Uh, B.J. Taylor had 17 points and 10 assists. Uh, just a throttling of uh, Ben Howland's Mississippi State squad. Then they come back against the home team. College of Charleston the following night and beat them by 20, 60 to 40. Uh, the Knights were only up seven uh, at the half, but then turned it on in the second half. Again, B.J. Taylor, 21 points, did only have one assist, um, but that would, but he, you know, the game plan for him was taking the ball to the basket, and he certainly did. Uh, Taco Fall again, nine and nine in that game. The Knights uh, found themselves in the championship two days later against number three Villanova, defending national champions. Buzzer beater, Chris Jenkins, the whole nine, Jay Wright, and the whole thing, and uh, Villanova showed why they were number, uh, why they're the number three ranked team in the nation after winning the national championship, uh, 67-57, the win for Villanova. Although the Knights, I thought, made a good account of themselves in this game, you could tell that Villanova was just um, they're a better talented team. Not UCF's fault; it's just it's Villanova for crying out loud. But Taco Fall, ten of ten from the field, twenty points. 13 rebounds. Matt Williams had 17 points and four assists. B.J. Taylor had a rough night from the floor, 6 of 17, 13 points and five assists. But um, I thought that there was some high praise from Jay Wright. He said that the way that uh, UCF uses Taco Fall makes uh, them extremely difficult to defend. And the Knights, even despite the loss right now, 3-1, and 
coming back home uh, for a Saturday matchup this coming weekend against uh, Seattle University, the Red Hawks, uh, and then uh, four days later against Stetson on Wednesday uh, at home again. Hopefully they can pack the arena for that one because, uh, you know, hey, it's Stetson. They're our old rivals going back to the A Sundays. So uh, what do you think based on this tournament, Eric? I thought this was a really good show. I think it was better than expected for UCF. What do you think? Agreed. 100% agreed. And to me, that jumps out. Taco Falls a completely different player right now than he was yes. a year ago. I, he he kind of looked like he was lost. You know, he didn't know he was apprehensive last year. He was kind of robotic last year. Uh, you question how many minutes he can give you. Whereas this year, he's much more confident. He's much more mobile, much more athletic. That coaching staff done a heck of a job with him and as, and as well. He's hit the weight room he's and he has worked a absolutely. lot on his footwork. I've noticed. Yes. Yes. So that is a game changer because uh, if he keeps up at this level, you know, it's early. But if he can, you know, kind of move into this forward, you know, progression that he's doing, he's going to be an NFL, uh, an NBA, excuse me, prospect. So there's already uh, a, there's already a Twitter account for that called Tank for Taco. Did you see wow. that? There's already a yeah. There's already a Twitter account wow. for that. <laughs> but but he's exciting and BJ it was good to have him on the court. Look, he's going to have his, you know, I know he had an off night against Villanova. That's going to happen. But you could tell what a difference he is still at that point guard position to compare to what UC have had all of last year. They clearly missed him. And boy, credit to Matt Williams. Uh, what yeah. a story. Here's a kid that, and they mentioned this on the telecast. I forget which game, but talked about, remember, he was out the door. He was about to transfer to Wake Forest. And Johnny Dawkins, to his credit, kept the door open. It's like, hey, keep practicing. You know, because a lot of coaches, you know, this would have just said, ah, you know, you fine. You want to leave? away. Yeah. We don't want you. Right. But Johnny Dawkins, for the human, you know, the guy that he is, said, you know what? It's, you know, understandable. Hey, keep practicing here and this or that. And I think Matt Williams got to know Coach Dawkins and he got to know the, the coaches. And he said, you know what? I want to stay, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, boy, he's a nice compliment right now to B.J. Taylor. He's a nice compliment because, you know, if you try to double a taco fall insider stuff, then you leave a Matt Williams open. He's going to bury the three. So um, really excited. I, I think this was a huge weekend for the basketball program. I know it sounds crazy to say that considering it's, what, week two of the of the season and it's only like two weeks into the Johnny Dawkins there. But I think this gives an extra inner, a boost to this program from an interest level. Uh, I mean, people were talking about this team nationally. People were talking about this team locally on the radio. I, I, you know, let's be honest, Jeff. I think in the last year or two, couple of years, the basketball program has kind of fallen into kind of apathetic status, right? We're like, yeah, nobody really. I would say, yeah. Okay, that's, I mean, that's fine. Um, and I think more people are interested now in this team, you know, because we didn't know what to expect. Uh, you know, I had questions with the, the lack of depth, and I think, still think that's a question. But that's why Taco Fall is so huge on this, because if he can give you those solid minutes that he's given this past weekend in Charleston all year, it changes the equation immensely. Here's, uh, a, here's a number about Taco Fall that I think is just probably the most impressive right now. This season, through four games, 34 of 42 from the field. That's mm. 81% from the field and he's done so in only 27 and a half minutes per game now bj taylor tank effiani uh matt williams and uh nick banyard are all averaging over 33 minutes a game johnny dawkins has limited tacos minutes to an extent um he's keeping him under 30 minutes a game i'd like to see the free throw shooting improve he's only three of 14 at the line that's going to be a problem if it continues but 
I mean, my God, he's shooting 81% from the field, man. And that tells me that he's getting in, into position to score the ball down low. And, uh, and you're right. He's just become impossible to defend. And we're not even talking about the impact he makes on the other side of the court defensively. So, right. um, look, I, I thought it was exciting. I think the fan base is, is more excited about it. Uh, I can't wait. I am planning on going to that Stetson game, as a matter of fact, that you have brought up. Um, and I, you know, I think the Seattle game is tough in that, you know, you have the football game early that day in Tampa. So I don't know. I don't think they'll draw for that game, unfortunately, because of the way the schedule works out. But, uh, although I think there'll be a few people that'll make the drive back from Tampa and go to the basketball game based on the, you know, time is sticking around in Orlando for the, for the Thanksgiving weekend. I have a feeling they'll be trying to get to that game to see taco. Try that and and definitely going for the Stetson game and beyond. And uh, boy, that was exciting. It was fun. It was good basketball. They beat up, uh, destroyed a, a Mississippi State team that's coached by Ben Hallow, who's been a Final Four coach. Uh, the Villanova game was a good game. I mean, UCF made a run in yeah. the second half. It wasn't like there was a blowout or anything. I mean, you know, Villanova was clearly the better team, but you know, UCF made a run. He got it within, I think, six or eight in the second half. Villanova was just too good. Um, but they could, they just could, they they couldn't. There was a point in that game where it just felt like, man, Villanova just can't really put us away, can they? Right, right, right. And so, very pleasantly pleased, very pleasantly, uh, very pleased and, and excited. I think you have to be optimistic, excited. Not to suggest that all of a sudden this team is going to win twenty games or anything like that, but I'm just saying from the product standpoint. And and we had Michael Dono on this broadcast, and I still recommend people to tune into that. Uh, that starting five is good. Remember, this is all without AJ Davis. Yeah, Easy and Chance McSpadden, and McSpadden, who's could you know, you're hoping to get Davis back in a couple of weeks. McSpadden, maybe, maybe the new year, who knows? But that's the thing. You're doing all this without AJ Davis, who some thought was the best player on this team. Um, so I, I just think there's a lot of encouragement. And you mentioned the minute I, I was impressed with Coach Dawkins and the way he handled Taco's minutes, but also his roster, as we've talked about. And we're going to be talking about this the lack of depth and the you know, only what seven scholarship players. Yeah, you know, you got to be creative with how you use your players. And I thought he was and using you know, guys for quick minutes, you know, and using the TV timeouts to your advantage. Um, I was very impressed, and, and I'm very impressed with Coach Dawkins. Uh, I was a fan of the hire. Uh, I'm a fan of the guy. And uh, I, I'm excited about where this basketball program is headed in the future, not necessarily this year. But, man, with Taco Fall the way, if he continues, would he play at a high level with B.J. Taylor? Keep in mind, these guys, you know, Taylor's a sophomore. Taco's a sophomore. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get, you know, if you guys, to me, about the, to me, this year's a success. If those guys develop and get better, a lot, you know, and go into next year when then you have a full roster, man, it's just exciting. I'm excited for the program and I'm happy about it. And I look forward to seeing them in person, uh, hopefully in the Stetson game and then beyond that. I want to see him take care of business at home in these next two games against Seattle and Stetson, two teams that they should, should get home victories off. So let's see how they, let's say, let's see how they do this week. Coming off of that tournament, you played three games last week. So a little bit, a little bit, a little tired, right? Traveling back from South Carolina. I want to see how they take care of business in these next two games. All right, let's switch over to women's, who split this past week. Uh, lost to Virginia Tech at home by three, 67-64. Tough ball game there. Um, you know, anytime we play an ACC team, you know it's going to be tough. But uh, credit to uh, 
credit to Virginia Tech. They were able to hang on and get the victory at CFE Arena. But then, uh, you know, they could have folded. The Knights could have. against uh, and Because they had to go on the road. They had to go up to Butler and uh, play a tough game in the old Hinkle Fieldhouse. And lo and behold, they go up there and they get the win. 66-59. The Knights are now 4-1 and one on the season. So uh, Aaliyah Gregory back in the lineup. 7-17, 18 points, 5 rebounds. Um yeah, you know, she had been out a little bit. She was uh she was a little uh she was a little banged up, but now she's back in there. Zai Lewis with fifteen points and four rebounds to go with uh she only had one assist and turned the ball over six times with four steals. Just she was able to get some of those back. Um and so far this season it's been uh really Zai Lewis and Fifi Endor, who are the only two players who are averaging in double figures for the Knights, although Gregory's averaging nine a game. Uh it's been a very even uh sort sort of very um, evenly distributed season so far for the Knights through five games. And Coach Abe, her team right now shooting uh, 42% as a team. I, so I'm sure she would like to see that. That you know she must. It's pretty good, but she'd like to see that go up a little bit, considering that you know she wants to pound the ball inside. She told us that uh, after the home opener. So, um, but right. I, but I thought that was an impressive win uh, going up to Butler, especially after you lose that heartbreaker to Virginia Tech. You go on the road, you face another tough Butler team, and you get the win. Yeah, and, and you know, I was at the Virginia Tech game, and and you know, there's still a transitional period going on here. You know, Coach James running her system, and I think the players are still learning the system. You know, I still think they're out of position in certain things. They're just learning each other. I think both sides are still learning each other, and I'm very impressed with Coach James seeing her in person for the first time. Uh, Jeffrey, very intense coach. Oh yeah, uh, very demanding, but understands you know, you know, kind of the on and off button switch. Uh, you know, she's not going to tolerate a bad performance. She wants a hundred percent max effort. She's super competitive. Uh, you can see why she was hired. You can see why she was successful at Albany, but again, this is just going to be a transitional period right now. I mean, these players, you know, I got to learn her. She's got to learn what they can do and can't do. I think Gregory getting Gregory back helps, but you've, you know, you highlight it. The question marks, in particular, on the offensive side of the ball. To me, for this team to be successful, Zai Lewis has to be their marquee score. Mm-hmm. She can be electrifying from a scoring standpoint, but she's kind of, at times, she doesn't take over the game because she maybe defers, and they need her to yeah. be aggressive at all times. And I think that's the message they want to give to her. So, uh, But look, hey, look, I mean, you can tell the difference. They're playing well defensively. Uh, you know, and they're winning basketball games, and that's good from a confidence standpoint. Is you want to build confidence up here in the pre-conference and uh, feel good and learn some things and get ready for conference when it gets a different level. So, you know, I think you're so far so good. And uh, but it, like I said, it's a process and it's a transitional period. But certainly impressed with Coach Abe seeing uh, <laughs> her in person, Jeff. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, watching her up there and, and, and yelling the instructions, man. I I would have I would have done whatever she said. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, they've got they've got two I think winnable games coming up. It's the UCF Thanksgiving Classic at uh, at the arena this weekend, and they're hosting Ryder and Austin P. Uh, Saturday and Sunday. So, um, two winnable games I think before they have to face Buffalo at Buffalo on December the first. That's a Thursday. That's going to be tough. And then you come back home. How about this? Another rivalry game, December fourth, Sunday against Bethune Cookman. So, uh, so yeah, a couple more wins. I'd like to see them maybe get it. You know, get get that five game cushion, six and one, uh, at, at coming after this tournament. So, all right, um, let's switch gears over to volleyball. Is they're just about ready to wrap up their season here in the Thanksgiving weekend? 
Uh, the Knights at 22 and 10 on the year. Uh, in the last homestand, they lost a heartbreaker to Temple at home on Friday night uh, in five in a super intense match um, that ended up being decided basically by two swings, 15 13 uh, on Friday night in the fifth. Uh, and then they co- but they come back, they get the win in four against UConn. In another match that I thought was ex- was uh, was very much evenly matched, uh, three to one, twenty five twenty three in the fourth. UCF gets the victory, and uh, they set themselves up. You know, two tough road matches to sort of finish out the year against Tulane, uh, and this was actually earlier this afternoon. We're recording this again on Wednesday night, uh, the day before Thanksgiving. The Knights uh, fall in four to Tulane. Which uh, you know, Tulane's Tulane's a tough team anyway. They beat UCF on the home floor. They actually swept them back in October uh, in uh, in the venue. Uh, Knights did push it to four, but uh, wasn't. But they weren't good enough to get the uh, get the victory on this particular night. Uh, but then the Knights will wrap against Houston. Houston's been bad this year, which has kind of been a surprise. Uh, they're playing Friday night, uh, Friday afternoon rather, at two p.m. at Houston, and assuming the Knights get the victory over Houston, who, by the way, is winless in the conference, winless in the conference. Uh, you should see uh, this night's team finish at 23-10 and 10 in the regular season. And, uh, and that's, an, that's an impressive feat, I think, you know, considering that they've, you know, I've said this before, I think that they've overperformed this year. Um, glad to see them get the win on senior day against UConn. Uh, Really happy for the three seniors, uh, Hallie Scott, uh, Taylor Gallert, and Jayla Hervey, especially, who uh, finished up the uh, finished up that match with a kill to uh, to to clinch the match. Um, Jayla's just been fantastic. She should be first team All Conference, I think, without question. And I think she should get a considerable number of votes for Conference Player of the Year. I don't know if she'll win it, but I think she should get plenty of votes. Uh, she had another 18 kills, by the way, against um, against Tulane. Uh, you know, UCF's really going to miss, the miss you know, not just Jayla, but all three of those players uh, when they go away. Hallie Scott has just been a fantastic defender for UCF. Um, and uh, and Taylor Gallard as well. You know, she found her niche uh, as, a, as a right side. And she's just, and she's, she had a couple of key moments uh, against UConn as well. Here's Coach Dagenet talking about uh, his seniors and how they led uh, the team in that win on, against UConn. <laughs> The team did a great job of staying together, great job of supporting each other, great job of finding energy in the fourth set, because there was none in the third, and um, really a fantastic job of playing for each other. So uh, I thought we went out there, we beat a pretty good team. This is a big win to get to 22, keeps our dreams alive. Um, Now we have very little time to recover, practice tomorrow, and then hit the road uh, to go to Houston and Tulane, see how strong we can finish here. And um, and then we then we hopefully get to put it in the hands of the selection committee on Sunday and say here's our resume and this is why we think we're in. So again, following UConn, uh, UCF did unfortunately drop that match at Tulane, one that they really, really I think feel like they kind of needed if they wanted to uh, have a have you know have a really solidified shot at the uh, NCAA. As it is, they got one match left to go, but uh, it's going to be a tough road, Eric to get into the NCAAs now, um, even with it's, – it's, it's, it drives me crazy, but even with 23 victories in your back pocket, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's just they, – they, it's just not enough. 
No, and uh, it's funny. I mean, I got I had to call that Temple match with Eric Campbell, and she said, "Boy, any other year, you know, that would have yeah. been good enough to make the tournament." Yeah, but, right now they're fifty third oh. in the RPI. Yeah, yeah, and it's just the American Conference is the most improved conference in the country. Uh, it's number six in the RPI in volleyball. Uh, they, it's really strong, and you know, I I think it definitely is going to get multiple bids into the tournament. I know Aaron had a chance to, and I had a chance to talk to Coach Dagenet before the Temple match, and he talked about it. This league should be a two to three bid league, and you know, SMU just beat Temple in Temple. Uh, on Wednesday. So SMU clinched the share of the regular season title. They're a game up on Cincinnati. Cincinnati can still win the regular season title. They need a win and they need SMU to lose to Connecticut in Connecticut. Not to, out of the uh, question. No, but, you know, uh, it, it, Temple is fascinating to me. Temple goes undefeated this season on the road. I'm talking not just talking about a conference, yeah. the whole year. <laughs> they go 12 and 0 on the road and yet. They don't win the regular season title and might be left out of the tournament, uh, depending on what happens with the selection committee. I think SMU is going to get in, and I think Cincinnati has a shot to get in. I think those two teams are in the 30s, I believe. Uh, Cincinnati's 40, actually, in the RPI, and I believe SMU is in the low to mid-30s in the RPI. SMU right now is, uh, according to the latest RPI, which came out November the 21st this past Monday, uh, SMU is 33rd. Temple, excuse me, Cincinnati is 40th, and Temple is 49th. That's the third best AAC team. UCF right now yeah. is a solid fourth best uh, RPI out of the American at 53. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's, you're right. Any other year, man, unbelievable. I mean, and you look and you look back, yeah. you know, there. I think there's some matches that they look back and they're like, man, if only we could have had a couple swings here and there. The LSU match really comes to mind. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we got we we got blitz well, by three. Florida here's State three. and Southern no, Illinois. Southern Illinois really hurt. Southern Illinois on the road hurts, uh, but that was at third place. You're right. The LSU match uh, at home, you know, that one hurts a little bit. You you, you could have won that. Should have won that. Uh, I'm thinking, to, I mean, the Temple match you just mentioned, I mean, this past Friday, that was a huge match. If UCF, you know, they're up two sets to one, you know, they got a shot to put away Temple. They would sweep Temple and have a shot to finish at least third in the conference, which could be the difference between making and missing the tournament. Who knows? Uh, and then you were at the match against Cincinnati where it went five sets. What if you, sw- if you turn around the Cincinnati and the, uh, yeah. you know, Two of those three matches, I think they're in. And, you know, it's that close. You know, now. But then you're the saying thing- that that team that that you're looking at a 25 and seven record, yeah. just barely sneaking in, which in itself is unbelievable when you think about it. it really is. And one of the things that's going to hurt them is you know looking at the RPIs. For example, like Florida State, 26 RPI. So my guess is they're not going to host the early rounds of the uh, NCAA tournament. Florida will. I mean, if you're looking for UCF to have a shot to get in, they probably would have to get into Gainesville, kind of like they did two years ago. If you remember, they were in that two versus three and down in Gainesville. They played Miami, lost to Miami in five sets uh, in the the first couple rounds of the NCAA tournament in volleyball from a from a travel standpoint. Uh, I would have been, you know, if Florida and Florida State, let's say, were hosting, I, I would like UCF's chances a little bit better to sneak in maybe as a three or a four seed. Because I think the way it's going to play out is I think Florida State's probably going to be the two seed in Gainesville. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I mean, what does that tell you? They're twenty three and five. 
Right. I mean, it's just kind of weird the way the sport is right now. But certainly, uh, it's just interesting. And, and let me ask you this, because you you saw the Tulane match. It, it seems like Tulane's just a bad matchup. I mean, that's yeah, you know that that's too, getting swept by them didn't help them in this regard either. Because you're right, you know I you know they could have won at Tulane and then win at Houston. Then you could have you know maybe you never know you could have uh, maybe snuck in there and but Tulane kind of uh, proved to be a thorn. Um, so it's a very interesting year. I think it was a, it was a fun year. It was a successful year in some ways. Um, you know, it just so happens that this league hopefully will get rewarded and it should get rewarded with, at least, I think, two to three bids at least. And I know that Coach Dagenet feels the same way. We'll see if it happens or not. That'll be something to monitor. But, uh, man, if UCF could have won that Temple match, because I thought they had Temple on the ropes, Jeff. They did. In that fourth set, they had them on the ropes and they didn't put them away. And, uh, boy, I mean, UCF Temple – arguably the two most exciting matches of the year in the conference was between those two teams. Cause if you go back to October in Philadelphia, yeah, that UCF five. Out, and UCF jumped out to a two set to none lead temple came back one third in the fourth set. And then uh, UCF had a win 15, 13 up in Philly. So they're very evenly matched teams. Only a swing or two makes the difference. Um, Doesn't get any more even than that 15, 13 in the, uh, yeah. in the fifth set, both times with the road team yeah. winning. And I was impressed with Kia Bright. I think if you look ahead, Kia Bright, this will be Kia Bright's team next year. Uh, she was electrifying. Uh, Sable, the freshman that you liked a lot. Boy, I, I was very impressed. I mean, the future is bright with his program, with a lot of those young players uh, moving forward. But you're right. It just feels very strange with the success that they've had this season. But it's probably not going to be enough to get into the NCAA tournament. But then again, you never know. So the NCAA has done weirder things. So anyway, all right. So our hope is that they'll be doing, you know, we'll be taking, we'll be keeping an eye on that as it goes through. We'll keep you updated on how that goes. Uh, So uh, as we wrap up here on uh, this weekend's edition of the black and gold banneret podcast, Eric, what are you looking forward to the most? And I'm guessing it's going to be traveling out to Tampa for the, uh, for the war on I four, right? Absolutely. Looking forward to traveling. I I forgot to mention, I'm sorry about that. Um, USF right now is a 10-point favorite at home, over under 66. The numbers dropped because I think it was at 12 to start. So uh, that's interesting, uh, always interesting. Uh, yeah, look, I'm looking forward to the trip in Tampa. I'm looking forward to seeing that trophy uh, up close. I'm looking forward to seeing some friends because I do have friends up in Tampa that are UCF fans. And, yes, I have friends that you know, you know, know, are fans of that program, so that happens. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing the environment and seeing how UCF matches up with USF and you know, a noon game and should be very good. That's definitely what I'm looking forward to seeing. Uh, so hopefully it's a good, exciting game. I don't know if they're going to win or not, Jeff, but I think UCF will represent themselves well, and I think it'll be a good game. And if they can get off to a good start and get the lead early on USF, I think all the pressure is on USF. So I'm looking forward to that, uh, seeing how that turns out. I'm looking forward to that kitchen sink game, just like you said. Run a little trickeration, uh, pull up, pull a few rabbits out of the hat, see what happens. Why yep. not? You're in Tampa. It's your rivalry game. You can really mess up their season. Why the hell not? Let's do it. So, all right, I'm looking forward to that one, too. Just a lot to look forward to, especially, you know, obviously, like we talked about with basketball, and then we'll see how volleyball does with the selection show coming up. So, all right, Eric, what do you got going on the rest of this week? 
Well, I got a lot going on on the website. Let's start with that. I got a couple of stories up. I've got basketball television viewer numbers from UCF up in Charleston. Their game against Mississippi State on ESPN2 and their game against Villanova on ESPN2. Some good exposure for them. Played against College of Charleston ESPNU. And how did those numbers do? And I'll give you a hint. One or two of those games actually did better than UCF's most recent football telecast on ESPNU. So we'll just – there's a little hint there on that article. Also, I posted – I had an interview recently with Stephanie Best, UCF Softball Hall of Famer. Uh, Had her on on the Sports Talk Florida Insider Show, 1080, the team that airs Saturdays. And I had a chance to talk to her about a various of topics, uh, included into a podcast basically, for uh, and and talked about her career at UCF. Her company that she owns now in Pro Swings, which uh, well, helps kind of teach a lot of the young girls how to play the game of softball and how she got into that and talked about the pro game of softball. And she talked about some of the former night players, including Shelby Turnier winning the MPF title. And she breaks down how she compares Shelby to Allison Kime and Mackenzie Otis. So it's a really good listen to. And in that blog, I put out some candidates of future UCF softball players that might be the next ones to join Stephanie Best in the UCF Softball Hall of Fame. So you want to check that out as far as some of the, you know, what players I think has a legitimate good shot to get into the Hall of Fame and when they would be eligible to do it. So uh, for you softball fans out there, that's a pretty good read. And, uh, Phil, you know, I'm sure uh, we'll get some chatter going. So uh, look for that on the site. Very important through all the holidays here. Some some goodies for you as we were provide for you here on the on the. Uh, for you here as well. So as you mentioned, Jeff, I'll be in Tampa on Saturday uh, for the UCF-USF game. Looking forward to that trip as well. And then obviously I'll recap that on the uh, Football Insider Show on 1080 on Monday night, 6 to 7, from Harry Buffalo. Uh, So look forward to that. I'm also going to be filling in on Tuck and O'Neill, co-hosting and producing on Friday. We are on on Black Friday, three to seven. So while Jeff is watching all the football, I'll be working. Yeah, and while yeah, and while you, dear UCF fan, are out shopping, you can tune in to Eric at that time. I got a little uh, thing up on BlackAndGoldBanneret.com as well. Jermaine Taylor, UCF men's basketball great, um, has found a, a home in the NBA D League right now with the Salt Lake City Stars. It's the affiliate of the Utah Jazz. And uh, he's making highlights again, and Jermaine actually scored 20 points in their most recent game. Uh, he looks good. The knee looks good. He's got some explosion back, but he's also got a little bit of a, a little bit more wily veteran type game to him now when you look at the uh, highlights. So I was able to pull some of those down. Um, he's looking good out there. Hopefully, hopefully things continue to go well for Jermaine. Hopefully the Jazz will call him up sometime soon because, frankly, they could use the help, and Jermaine knows how to score buckets. So make sure you check that out on Black and Gold Banneret as well, as well as um, uh, Eric's uh, posts on uh, UCF basketball TV ratings and, of course, UCF softball and Stephanie Best uh, as well this week. All right, Eric, thanks again. Hey, have a happy Thanksgiving, brother. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well, my friend. And happy Thanksgiving to you, dear UCF fans. You can follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. You can also look us up at Black and Gold Banneret on Facebook and subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. So we thank you so much to all the folks who've been supporting us uh, throughout this uh, first, well, first half of the year that we've been doing this podcast since August. Things have been going extremely well. We appreciate you, Night fans, as well. We hope you all have a very happy, healthy, and safe 
Thanksgiving holiday and enjoy the war on I-4 on Saturday when UCF takes on USF. For Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thanks for listening. Happy Thanksgiving and go Knights. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Catch you next week.